The tournament format is probably the most exciting in any sporting event. I mean, you get together a group of competitors, they go head to head until there's one left standing. Sign me up. You know, watching it is kind of like watching a movie. The storyline changes, the unexpected can definitely happen, and the winners usually showered in glory. In the early days of MMA, I mean, that was the premier format, and the journey some fighters had to take to come out on top, you honestly wouldn't believe. Unless I told you. So today we're going to take a look at some of the most epic events of all time, with some of the greatest martial artists to ever represent Earth Realm in what could only be described as real life Mortal Kombat. I told him I'm not on camera. He knows how I feel about that because I wasn't. Those are the cleanest balls I've ever seen. Let me show you the way. Please. Since ancient times, a common misconception about male grooming is that you have to go completely bare down there. However, with the newly discovered Lawnmower 4.0 by Manscaped, you can customize your grooming game. It's waterproof, cordless, and electric with four different trimmer guard options. With skin safe technology, anything is possible. Go to manscaped.com today and get 20% off as well as free international shipping and your free gifts with the code MMA on point. Stay on top of your game and on top of your body with Manscaped. Protect your balls. I'm Balian from MMA on point and these are 10 legendary MMA tournaments that tested the best of all time. Also, believe it or not, there aren't actually any UFCs on this list. What it comes down to, though, is that there wasn't really a lot of great opposition. Yes, there were big names, but not always big matchups in the early days. When you compare those tournaments to this list, well, they just don't really stack up. Number 10, the World Valley Tudo Championships 3. After the World Valley Tudo Championship shot up in popularity in Brazil, they stacked WVT3 in 1997 with all the heavyweight no-holds-barred talent. It had Pat Smith, a UFC 2 finalist, the big polar bear Paul Valens, and the highly anticipated debut of the smashing machine Mark Kerr, who went on to be the most dangerous man on the planet. This tournament, though, would give him one of the toughest tests of his career. In the first fight, Zane Frazier fell out of the ring, which, no shit, it was just ropes. So next up was Mark's debut. He took on Paul Valens, who was kind of legit as heavyweight's go at the time. I mean, he was six foot nine, that was pretty much enough. But Mark speared him right into the mat, postured up and just started dropping knees on his face. It was pretty grim and Mark finished him. Also weirdly, Pat Smith got eliminated after someone grabbed him from outside the ring. So he's just straight up quit on the spot. Kerr's next opponent was the Master Hulk and he beat him so badly, the guy literally crawled out the ring to save his own life. <laughs> Seba May seems pretty easy, eh, Mark? Well, in the finals, he took on Fabio Gagel and it would be the toughest fight he'd have for pretty much the next three years. It turned into a third 30-minute war. Mark already had a broken hand from the last fight. He also got cut and had to defend submission attempt after submission attempt. Eventually, the 30-minute time limit was reached and the ref was like, okay, someone's probably going to die. So he stopped the fight and Mark was named the tournament champion. Mark then won his next six fights all in two minutes. So yeah, I bet WVT3 sticks in his memory. Number nine, the Pride 2000 Openweight Grand Prix. The Millennium gave us quite a lot, didn't it? The O2 Arena, Gladiator, and yeah, the Pride 2000 Openweight Grand Prix. The fighters who made the trip to Tokyo included Hoist Gracie, Igor Vovchanchin, Gary Goodridge, Mark Kerr, Ensign Inoue, Fujita, Guy Mezka, Sakuraba, and the former UFC champion Mark Coleman, who honestly had to overcome some huge mental hurdles going into the competition. He'd just lost four in a row, and it wasn't pretty. He certainly wasn't the favourite going in, let's just say that. In the first round, he drew Masaki Satake, and luckily it was his MMA debut. It was a pretty good kickboxer 
though, but Mark was, you know, a wrestler. So he took him down and made him tap to a can opener, which is kind of day one jujitsu stuff, but Mark's a pretty big bloke, isn't he? So round one was out of the way, and next up was Akira Shoji, who tested him a bit on the feet and made him work. Heck, he even pinned him in the corner at one point and was tagging him up, but ultimately Shoji got stuck underneath the hammer and he just got nailed into the ground. Then Mark basically got a free pass into the finals. Kerr had turned Vegeta's head into a bad sausage the round before, and two seconds into the fight with Coleman, the corner just threw in the towel. So Mark faced Igor of Chanchin in the finals, who'd also just been in a battle with Sakuraba, who, by the way, had fought with Hoist Gracie for an hour and a half that night. Sheesh. Igor didn't give up easily, but Mark just smashed him. Somehow, against all odds, he'd redeemed himself. He conquered his demons, and he won the 2000 Openweight Grand Prix. Number 8. IFC 17. Domination. An unsung hero of the early days of MMA was Babalu, Hanato Sabral. Eventually, he got kicked out of the UFC for holding on to a submission for too long, but in the early 2000s, he was kind of a badass. The International Fighting Championship held an epic eight-man one-night elimination tournament, and it was full of future MMA talent. Let me hit you with some names. How about Chell P. Sonnen, Forrest Griffin, a young and untested Shogun Hua, Irene, and veteran Jeremy Horn. The young Shogun stepped into the cage. He nearly took Eric Vandalay's head off in the first few seconds, and he had to work pretty hard, but he found the finish in round to. Chell fought Forrest and took him down immediately and started battering him. He looked like a, a world beater, but Forrest endured as he always does and slipped in the bane of the American gangster, a triangle choke. So up next, the 4-0 future UFC champion Shogun, he matched up with the 22-6 Babalu, and they had a back-and-forth grappling war. It was freaking awesome. Shogun was throwing big shots at Sabral, but he kept a pace on him, controlled him from the top, and managed in the third round to sink in a guillotine. Shogun was out and Babalu was in the finals. In the semis, the future UFC champion and mythical Forrest Griffin straight thugged it out with Jeremy Horn on the feet, but Horn had his jiu-jitsu and cardio tested, and he decapitated the berserker with a head kick in the third round. So he and Babalu had a proper scrap in the finals. They were both well-rounded, and Babalu had to defend more submissions than during UFC 4 launch week. But the dude got it done after three hard rounds, and he continued a six-fight win streak that led him all the way to a UFC title shot. Number 7. Pancrase, King of Pancrase by 1994, the UFC had already put on three tournaments, but on the night of UFC 4, something entirely different was going on on the other side of the world. In Japan, this hybrid wrestling MMA promotion called Pancrase had been running events for just over a year, and in December 1994, it was time to crown the King of Pancrase. They pulled in some of the best fighters from around the world. Ken Shamrock, his brother Frank, Masakatsu Funaki, Minoru Suzuki, future UFC heavyweight champion Maurice Smith, and the legendary Bass Rutten. Bass was still kind of new to MMA, though, and he took on Frank Shamrock in the first round, and he got taken down immediately. The entire fight became a grappling match that tested both guys, but after 10 minutes, Frank won the decision. Meanwhile, brother Ken needed just a minute to shrug off the attacks of Alex Cook, give him a few slaps, and footlock the fuck out of him, basically. So, Frank Shamrock had advanced to the next round, but he ran into the Shuto vet Manabu Yamada. They were both really skilled grapplers, and the new kid Frank tested the cardio and the submission defense of the pro wrestling veteran. They end up in this 50-50 position, and Frank just has to tap, basically. Ken as well, he had to work really hard on several occasions to get the kickboxer Marie Smith to the ground and avoid his kicks. He did finish him with an arm triangle after five minutes, but was tested again against Pancrase founder Funaki. And he made it to the final to get revenge for his brother Frank against Yamada. It was a grueling grappling war that went the full 30 minutes, but Ken was crowned the king of Pancrase. Number six, the 2012 Strikeforce Heavyweight Tournament. 
By 2012, the tournament format was pretty much over in MMA. Or so we thought. By the magic of Scott Coker, he gave us the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix, and it was basically like getting a GameCube for Christmas. Fedor Emelianenko, Bigfoot Silver, Alistair Overeem, Fabrizio Doom, Andrei Arlovsky, and Luke Rockhold's one true love, Daniel Cormier. So at this point, Cormier had only been pro for two years. He'd been fighting on the Strikeforce Challengers cards, so he didn't exactly get an invite into the tournament. But in the first round, after he'd beaten Fabricio Verdum, Alistair Overeem had to pull out, and DC was in. He just had to beat Bigfoot Silver first. No one knew what to expect of Cormier, not really, but they certainly didn't expect him to smash Silver with an overhand in the first few seconds. DC looped him a sweet uppercut, and then he just KO'd him on the canvas. Not bad for the new kid. The Warmaster Josh Barnett was next, and he hadn't been beaten in four years. He also had his own tests in Brett Rogers and Sergei Karatonov in the opening rounds, but he managed to sub both of them. Surprisingly, the two grapplers slugged it out on the feet. Josh landed big knees to the body, some big right hands, and for the first time in his career, DC had to battle for 25 minutes. Undoubtedly, it was a tough fight for DC, and he wouldn't be beaten until he fought John Jones three years later. Oh, and he won the tournament as well. Number five, Rings, King of Kings, 2000. When Rings did MMA tournaments, they went big or they went home. And for their legendary King of Kings tournament in 2000, they had 32 fighters in the bracket. And yeah, there were plenty of MMA superstars involved. But for the Brazilian legend Antonio Rogério Nogueira, it was his coming out party. Also signed up, the UFC champion Randy Couture, Fedor Emelianenko, Ricardo Arona, and the aforementioned Tanais Brawl. The first guy Big Nog fought was Ahmed Labasanov. And although Ahmed took him down, he almost immediately got armbarred. The vet Tamora was next, who was actually able to shake off all the missions that Nagara threw at him, but after eight minutes of assault on all his limbs, he gave up the armbar as well. Volk Han was a teammate of Fedor on a six-fight win streak, and he was next. They engaged in this epic grappling battle, and Volk did not make it easy for Nog. He was stubbornly resistant to pretty much all his attacks, and it went the distance, but Antonio was through to the semis, baby. At this point, Fedor had unfortunately been eliminated due to a cut from an elbow, and Randy had been forced to tap to the guillotine of Alistair's big brother. Nog's next fight against Kanihara was a fast-paced scrambling affair, and it left the Brazilian in some pretty compromising positions, and he ate a massive head kick, but once again, he slipped in that sub. Considering that some of the tougher competition was already eliminated at this point, Nog only had to get past Valentin Overeem's family specialty, La Guillotine, which he did, and after he arm-strangled him, he was the King of Kings champion. But he did have to win five fights to do it, and he wouldn't lose for another eight, and that was to Fedor for the Pride Heavyweight title. Number four, the Pride 2005 Middleweight Grand Prix. So by the early 2000s, UFC had done a good job of building its roster, but man, the Pride Fighters might as well have been superheroes. They held these Grand Prix tournaments, and the one in 2005 was more stacked than your Sunday morning pancakes. Boom. Vadley Silva, Rampage Jackson, Alistair Overeem, Vitor Belfort, Dan Henderson, Lil Nog, and the young samurai Mauricio Shogun Hua, who surprised everyone by coming out on top, but he had to take on the world's best to do it. He drew Rampage in the first round, and he'd made it to the finals in the last Grand Prix. Shogun put it on him though from the start and honestly well Quinton didn't really land anything he also possibly broke a rib and Shogun ended it by playing football with his face but next he had to take on Little Nog who just armbarred Dan Henderson and the submission threat was continuous and then he got dropped with a monster right hook the war pretty much continued for 20 minutes and they gave Shogun the nod Dangerous Dutchman Overeem was next to someone who could match his Muay Thai and that's what he did I mean he blasted him with kicks knees ground and pound and a bunch of takedowns he was basically manhandling him but after 10 
minutes, they were both exhausted. Shogun climbed on top of him and just buried him into the mat. All that was left was the final and Ricardo Arona, who had actually just beaten the current champion, Vandele Silva. The fight started and Shogun could smell those championship flowers. He got taken down a few times, but he kept teeing off on Ricardo and hammered him out after only two minutes. Boom! Middleweight Grand Prix Championship secured for a trial of fire. Number three, the Dream 2008 Middleweight Tournament. By 2008, the UFC was in full swing. Pride had merged with the organization. Anderson Silva was champion. But if you were a middleweight outside of the UFC, Dream was where you wanted to be. Especially if you were 23-year-old Gegard Mousasi, who already had 23 fights. He just needed a chance at the big time. And in 2008, when they announced their epic middleweight tournament, he pretty much got it. They grabbed all the best unsigned middleweights they could and chucked them in the Saitama Super Arena. Hernando Jacare Souza, Jason Mayhem Miller, Tamora Anfunaki, Melvin Manhoof, hell, even Sakuraba. Mousasi's first matchup was against the 40 fight veteran Dennis Kang, though, who took him down and controlled him. It looked pretty grim, but Gegard battled hard and found a triangle choke. Next up for Gegard was Don Sik Yoon. He was once again taken down, and he had to avoid several submissions, but he persevered, outlasted him, and made it to the semis. That's where he ran into Melvin Manhoff, who just brutalized Sakuraba, but Gegard actually made it pretty easy and just triangled his ass in one minute. So the finals were Jacare versus Musasi. That alligator freaking lunged at him immediately and muscled him to the ground, which was pretty much the worst case scenario for Gegard, but during a mad scramble and with the strength of a rage in fire, Gegard looks up, pops him with an upkick, and it put the reptile out cold. He captured his dreams, and two fights later, he was the Strikeforce champion as well. Number two, the Pride 2003 Middleweight Grand Prix. If you ask most people, they'd probably tell you this is the best MMA tournament of all time. Why? Well, it had Chuck Liddell from the UFC, Mandalay Silva was just murdering people, Rampage Jackson had looked unbeatable, and Sakuraba was still a freaking badass. And honestly, going in, we all hoped it would be Vandy vs Chuck in the final. First off, round one was the third in a trilogy fight for the Brazilian and Sakuraba, and Saku came out to throw down. They were both winging punches and actually both landing. Vandy had to stop the takedown, but after five minutes, he found the kill shot. On to round two, and hey, Chuck had gotten passed over him. Maybe the finale we all wanted was actually going to happen. Next up for Vandy was Hideoko Yoshida, a judo master, and shit, he took Vandy down in about 60 seconds, which made things pretty damn interesting. He pressured and started dropping ground a pound, even hit him with some judo throws after. It made it to the final bell, but Yoshida had started to fade, and the judges gave it to Vandy. Chuck was unfortunately KO'd by Rampage, so the final was a showdown between the two Pride Vets and rivals. It kicked off, and Rampage ran right into a guillotine, but started grinding on Vandy. He even blasted him with a few good knees on the ground. Eventually, they stood up, and boom! Vandy smashes Quinton with a knee in the clinch, and then poured on an onslaught that just left him slumped against the ropes, as the crowd went fucking mental. The Pride champion was now also the Grand Prix champion, and after his performances during Final Conflict, no one could argue otherwise. And number one, the 1999 Rings King of Kings tournament. After Dan Henderson had finished with the Olympics, he showed up at UFC 17 and won the middleweight tournament. After that, it was off to Japan and the largest tournament in the world at the time, the 1999 Rings King of Kings tournament. We're talking Big Nog, Alistair Overeem, Henzo Gracie and Hanato Sabrul. Not many people knew who Dan was, but they were pretty much about to find out. In round one, he was up against a Georgian, Bakuri Gogi-Titse, who slammed him about a bit, but Dan drilled him with a nice knee to the body and that was all she wrote. After that, he had Kanahara, and he made it a right old scrap. I mean, they just kept colliding with each other, exchanging power shots. It was a it was a fucking fight. But after 10 minutes, Dan got his hand raised. The massive Gilbert Ivor was next, and quite sensibly, Dan took him down, but he ate some illegal elbows, and when it went to the feet, Gilbert was just unloading with power. The action was pretty much non-stop, but after another 10 minutes and another proper war, Dan moved on to the next round. 
His reward, though, was a terrifying 15-minute back-and-forth battle with Big Nog, who was still undefeated at this point, and I mean, he almost armbarred him like six times. But he didn't, and he made it through to the finals where Babalu was waiting for him. It was another full-pelt MMA fight, and Dan almost ended up out of the ring at one point. He also had to fight his way out of some pretty horrible positions, but after 10 minutes, Dan was crowned the King of Kings. No, it wasn't easy at all, and seriously, this man needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Once again, we were graced with the ever pleasant presence of Ben Rosette. You got to check him out on Spotify and on social media at Ben Rosette beautiful music from a beautiful man. Alright, that concludes today's MMA history lesson with Balian. Just kidding. But it is super fun to go back and watch these old tournaments. If you haven't seen some of them, you got to go check them out. We don't even do Grand Prix anymore. What the fuck's that about? Obviously, if you haven't, you need to hit subscribe. We put out three videos a week. Come on now. And if you want to see me do more of these, go ahead and give us a like. Cheers very much.